Two Chocolate Cakes is a story of two cakes, bookended at the beginning of one life and at the end of another, and all the culinary and emotional layers in between those moments. Denise Ricci's Salsa After traveling to Australia, New Zealand, and Hawaii on the college debate team, going back to school seemed a moot point. What would I learn that I hadn't already experienced? So I gave up the apartment I shared with my crazy roommate Hillary, and I moved back to Connecticut at the end of the spring semester to figure out what I wanted to do. I spent the summer working on Fisher's Island with my father while living with my mother. Their divorce was only months old, still fresh and raw, and very ugly, having been completed while I was traveling for the World Debate Championships. Mom had given my room to Gordy, my father's best friend from Fisher's Island, and now Mom's part-time roommate, because Mom got him in the divorce, and he was traveling to New Jersey every week, so the house in Lyme was a good way station for him. So I stayed on Fisher's Island some nights in the servants' quarters of a client, or in the guest room on Honey Hill Lane. Mom resented me working for Dad and did not at all like me staying on Fisher's Island, and we argued about stupid things like laundry and dishes and who parked where. My father fixed me up with Pat McGinty, a handsome and smart college-educated stonemason who worked on the same estate I did. He built the most exquisite stone fireplaces, and chunky stone walls, and he was funny and clever and well-liked. We had our first date on the 4th of July, in advance of the date my father had made for us, because honestly, that was weird, so we had our own date first, and by the end of the summer, I agreed to move in with him. Mom really hated that, and visited only once, even though my new place was just across the river. She looked around the space, but never sat down, and then we went out for coffee. Mom didn't love much of anything, to be honest. She was mad a lot of the time. I set up house in the teeny three-room apartment over the pasta shop on Main Street, and we got a teeny orange kitten together, and we commuted to Fisher's Island most mornings. We had family suppers with his parents, who I adored, and threw wedding parties for his best friends, and we made plans for the holidays, and it felt like a real grown-up adult relationship. But by the time Christmas came around, I was out of work because it was winter and we wouldn't be going back to Fisher's Island until March. Only full-time employees could collect unemployment during the winter layoffs, and I was running out of money. There were very few jobs available in our teeny town of Deep River, but I would scour the newspaper's Help Wanted ads every day. But Patrick, who had loved me when I was working outside and had a tan and a lunchbox full of sandwiches and Fig Newtons, told me I had to leave. He said I couldn't be in a relationship with somebody who didn't have enough respect for herself to have a job. He left me crying on the bed, wrapped up in the lovely flannel comforter his mother made for him when he went off to college, and then he went off to Sunday dinner at his parents without me, saying I was no longer invited. Mom invited me back to Honey Hill Lane with no discussion or even an I told you so, which honestly must have taken remarkable restraint. She bought me a futon and a bed frame and a small kitchen table and two chairs, and she set up an apartment for me above the garage in my father's old office. 
Mr. Kitty and I moved in right before Christmas Eve. I worked at temporary office jobs for the winter, returning, much to my mother's disappointment, to my father's gardening company on Fisher's Island in the early spring. But the money was so much better, and it was nice to be outside. And by the end of the summer, my self-confidence and winter pallor, bolstered by a tan and bleachy blonde highlight, highlights in a strong back, I decided to move back to Providence. On weekends, I'd head up north to apartment hunt, and I stayed with my best friend, Ray, on the overstuffed but sagging couch that we shared when we were roommates in college. A brother of a friend had a girlfriend moving to Providence at the same time, and he gave me her phone number. Denise Ricci was a photographer who was moving from Boston to keep an eye on her boyfriend. She invited me to his birthday party at the apartment of yet another friend so we could meet and talk about finding a place. I knew a few people at the party, but after Denise and I figured out our living situation, I found myself talking to this one quiet musician. He played in a band like most of the guys at this party, but there was something different about him. He was slight. We were about the same height and probably wore the same size clothes. His name was Patrick. Yes, another one. And his eyes were the color of the Atlantic Ocean in the winter, gray and blue and green all at the same time. And I found myself drowning in those eyes half listening as he talked about the band, which was very loud, and the restaurant he managed, something about chicken, and the Gulf War. He had joined the Marine Corps after college when he realized he didn't want to go to law school, and now only had three months left on his reservist contract. And I suppose I must have shared some sort of information, but I have no idea what I said. I do remember what he was wearing, though. A dark blue shirt with a paisley pattern, collared, long-sleeved, and perfectly faded jeans and hiking boots. He had this way of looking through the almost bangs of his almost punk haircut, longer on the top, but very short on the side and back. And he looked like he might smell of vanilla or corn muffins or sugar cookies, slightly sweet, but not too sweet, and dry and airy. I left the party right when he did and returned to Ray's, where I dramatically flopped on the couch and told him I just found the boy I was going to marry. Ray laughed. He knew I tried to make husbands out of all my boyfriends, even the ones who ended up being gay like him. I prattled on about this new Patrick who was from Connecticut too and how he had beautiful skin that I believed was cool all of the time and was different from all those other band guys who seemed on the verge of some kind of mental or drug-related breakdown. Ray made us tea as I packed up my weekend bag and prepared to head down to Connecticut for another week of work before the weather broke. Two weekends later, my little truck was packed with Mr. Kitty and my futon bed that my mom bought me and all my work tools. I arrived at our new apartment, a large, hulking Victorian mansion duplex with four bedrooms and three roommates and a beautiful view of the city. I pulled the short straw and got the teeny attic room with no closet and a long walk down the hall and down the attic stairs to the bathroom. Mr. Kitty didn't get along with Maxine, the other house cat, and the commute to Fisher's Island meant leaving the house every day at 5 a.m. and not returning until after 7.30, but it was worth it to have my own place, such as it was. And, as it happened, it was just one block up and one block over from where Patrick worked. For the next three weeks, I walked by his restaurant after work and on weekends, determined and eyes straight ahead, like I was going somewhere else, never actually went in. And he rode by my house on his blue mountain bike daily, never ringing the doorbell. 
Our mutual set of friends told us both the other was weird. I didn't really drink, and he read books in his spare time. And we both had jobs that paid an actual living wage and could be actual careers. According to our friends, neither one of us was dating material. Another party at Denise's boyfriend's apartment brought us together again. Both of us went hoping to oh so casually run into the other. So of course I wore my best outfit, the Catholic girl gone bad uniform of the very early 90s, consisting of a micro mini tartan skirt, a black bra, a big white Oxford cloth shirt unbuttoned to the third button and half hanging off my bare shoulder with shorty white socks and black patent leather Oxfords. Topped off with my black leather motorcycle jacket, I walked into the party and, of course, was disappointed to not find him there. I nursed a Coke by the bookshelf by myself and contemplated going home and was at the door leaving when he walked in. Breathless from riding over on his bike from work, he said his hellos to me at the door and then to the others. We stood in the hallway making awkward small talk about the concert following the party, work, the new apartment. He had just gotten out of work and hoped to eat something before going out to this rock show downtown we were all supposed to go to. But there was only Denise's salsa and chips at the party, but as it happened, I just so happened to have a Tupperware full of my mother's spaghetti sauce and meatballs back at my apartment. And so we ate the pasta that night and talked for hours, and he never left, moving his guitar and clothing into my little attic room over the course of the next few days. I discovered that he did, in fact, smell as good as I thought, although in the evenings he also sported a lingering odor of chicken, which was something the cat greatly appreciated. Mr. Kitty waited for him on those attic stairs every night after work. We were inseparable for three months, rarely emerging from my room except to go to our jobs, until his roommate called looking for him because the Marine Corps needed him to go to the Middle East for Operation Desert Storm. He was gone the next day, but Mr. Kitty continued to wait for him on those attic stairs for several months. Denise Ricci Salsa. Six large ripe tomatoes, one bunch of cilantro, three very, very hot peppers, any hot sauce hanging around, a dash of cumin, and salt. Cut the tomatoes into small cubes about the size of regular M&Ms. Coarsely chop the cilantro. Chop hot peppers, remembering not to touch your face, especially your eyes, before you wash your hands. Thank you for listening. For more information about the recipes you've heard here, including author notes, photos, secret tips, and more, please visit twochocolatecakes.com. That's two, the word two, chocolatecakes.com. Salsa will explode in the fridge and therefore does not make a very good gift.